<clears throat> Good morning, everyone. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is a, uh, a refreshing and an encouraging reminder that true faith in Jesus Christ is uncomplicated. <clears throat> now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that life as a Christian is all peaches and cream. Uh, what I'm saying is that our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior is simple. <clears throat> if our faith becomes arduous, if it becomes complicated, we need to take a step back and we need to examine ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, examine ourselves in light of the Word of God to see where these burdens came into play. And with the help of God, as we do this, this analysis, we should be able to come to some definitive cause. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae because it was under spiritual attack. And it's safe to say that any church that has the potential to cause problems <clears throat> to the devil's plans is going to have a big target painted on it. And I believe that there are several churches in the area, including our own, that are actually under attack at this very moment. <clears throat> so it would be wise to look actually at this letter as if God Himself was writing it to us at this very moment. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Therefore, we can surmise that if our walk becomes complicated or burdensome, it's possible that we've taken a misstep. Or maybe we've been led astray by some false teachings. Or maybe some other tactic that the adversary will use in order to render us useless and ineffective for the cause of Christ. Which is what was beginning to happen here in Colossae. Somehow, some people came into the fold and they were spreading some false teachings. And it was beginning to affect the entire congregation. This straightforward faith that they had, now it was being bombarded by this, <clears throat> excuse me, by this complicated tapestry of all these rituals and necessities that they would have to do in order to attain a right relationship with God. The adversary, he was trying to lead them away from the simplicity that is found by faith alone in Christ alone. He wanted to render them useless for the kingdom. And when that happens, this supernatural joy that accompanies salvation, it begins to depart. A much joyful believer that is overflowing with love can sometimes be left feeling confused, fearful, bitter, angry, cynical, prideful. I mean, the list goes on. Their focus will change from what Christ has done and now they'll be focused on what they are doing or what other people are doing. 
we need to remember that the adversary, he has attacked several times and he has this tried and tested three-punch combo that he likes to use. He was able to turn Adam and Eve away from God with this very strategy. And he did so by causing doubt in the Word of God. He asked Eve, did God really say that? He then used his second punch to challenge the Word of God. He made it seem like the Word of God wasn't trustworthy. He said, you know what? Don't worry about what God said. Because it's not really going to happen that way. And Paul, being a student of Scripture, he wanted to make sure these false doctrines that they were going to be dealt with before this three-punch combo would make contact and ruin this church. Excuse me again. And so he was led by the Spirit to write this letter to this church. It was written to correct errors. Excuse me. It was written to correct errors. But it was also to bring back their minds to that time when their faith, when their newfound faith was uncomplicated. And because they were in the midst of this spiritual battle, it's quite possible that they might not have even realized the toll that these attacks were actually having on them. Over time and through persistent attacks, these false teachings, it would eventually have caused doubts in the Word of God. They would have brought in new doctrines into the congregation eventually. And it would have begun with that one misstep. And then each additional and timely step would have led them down this new way. And as crazy as this new doctrine was when you read about it, if this wasn't addressed, they would have eventually fallen prey to it. And they would not have realized just how far they had gone down this path until it would have been too late. So Paul addressed these man-made doctrines But he also went through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, he knew full well the cleansing power that would have on their minds. He knew that as they would go through the gospel, that it would cleanse them from these false teachings and what they had done to their faith. As he concludes his letter, he further encourages them to do what is right by giving them guidelines. Verse 2, he says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Paul is telling them, you need to watch attentively. Measure what these people are saying with the very Word of God. saying this is not tiny passive because these false doctrines, they can be subtle. But to the adversary, they are very purposeful. 
if a church believes that it's a battle of wits, it's going to succumb to the errors. But if it relies on earnestly seeking the face of God with prayer and with thanksgiving, then the adversary's tactics of false doctrine will be left ineffective on that church. Because false doctrine is always preceded by doubt in the Word of God. And you're not going to doubt the Word of God if you actually submit it to Him. And Paul knows that there's a direct correlation between trusting in God's Word and the amount of time spent with Jesus in spirit-filled prayer. Because the more time that you spend with Jesus, the more time you want to spend in His Word. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word. Verse 3, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You know, it's evident that the church at Colossae, they had some major prayer warriors. Otherwise, they would have already fallen prey to the wiles of the devil, right? And likewise, Paul, he's also surrounded by prayer warriors. And he lets this church know that they're praying for them. You know, he exemplifies the reality that those that live for Christ, they will have to endure suffering in this world. But that the ultimate goal is to glorify Jesus by telling others of what he did for them. Paul could have asked him and then the, these people here to pray for his personal needs because, I mean, he had a lot of them. Instead, he asked that he would have them pray for the opportunity to be able to share the Word of God with the lost. You know, he understood that the door wasn't going to be opened by some of his wit or philosophical discussions. He knew that the door must be opened by God. He knew that if a person was lost, that they must first listen to their conscience, and be willing to actually seek God. And that is why believers, that would be us, we need to obey God and share the gospel with the lost. Because how can the lost call on Him if, unless, actually, how can the lost, how can they call on Him to be saved unless they believe in Him? There you go. I have to remember that one. And how can they believe on Him if they haven't been told about Him? If they haven't heard about Him? And then how can they hear about Him unless we tell them? So even in chains, Paul wants to be very careful with how he speaks. Not careful because he wants them to soften his sentence. In fact, Paul was kind of excited to get to heaven, so he wasn't really concerned about being there too long. He was trying to be careful because he didn't want the wrong attitude or the wrong words to come out of his mouth in spite of the situation because he didn't want that to affect the outcome of somebody possibly getting saved. He wanted to demonstrate through his speech, through his actions, that Jesus was in fact dwelling within him. And Paul's desire was that the soldiers that were around him, or anybody else for that matter, 
that was around him, that they would ultimately believe that Jesus Christ had come to save them as well. That was Paul's desire. Verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. I don't know about you, but whenever I come across this verse that tells, like there's a few of them in the Bible, and it says to redeem the time, to think about the amount of time you have, it really causes me to think. And then I remember that during my youth, you know, you just waste your time. And as we age, then we realize, wow, what a precious commodity time is. And as Christians, we need to consider that how we need to be most effective with that time in order to try to reach the lost. And the message is that Jesus Christ came, died to save them so that they could have everlasting life through Him. So then the devil attacked them in the garden by that one, causing doubt. Two, he was twisting the Word of God. And then three, he was trying to cause division. Divide and conquer. This is not to be confused again with separating ourselves from a person or a group that is in sin. That's a very different thing. At the same time, don't get caught off guard by falling into the trap of letting someone else's sin become your sin as well. So in regard to causing division, Satan told Eve, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. It's like he's goading her on. You know, you won't need to submit anymore because you'll be just like God. Which is one of the reasons why Paul told them, hey, you guys need to submit to each other. When we are properly submitted to God and to one another, whether it be husband and wife, child and parent, employee, employer, church member to church member, the adversary cannot find a place to put a wedge in. But the devil and his minions, they are highly intelligent beings. They know exactly how to tempt us in order to cause division. That's why one of the reasons that Paul says in verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. You know, the adversary, he's going to stroke your ego to make you feel superior. He'll even give you an inferiority complex so that you'll go out of your way to prove that you're not that person, which will ultimately lift yourself up with pride. He's not a one-trick pony. Either way, he's got this quiver full of arrows and he knows where to aim them and he has a specific use for each one of them. He has both short-term and long-term goals and he wants to create havoc among the churches. He uses different strategies and ultimately he wants to render us useless, again, as soldiers of Christ. He'll manipulate those that are close to you in order to affect you. And he'll use you to affect other people as well. So mark my words. Employers and employees, they will be used to cause friction. If you're married, you will most likely be pinned spouse against spouse. If you have children, they will cause tension there as well. He'll do whatever he has to do to get your eyes off of Jesus. 
So now if we know our adversary's tactics and his goals, if we know what they are, we should be able to better prepare ourselves. And when we are struck, again, not if, but when we are struck by one of his arrows, we need to address it and we need to pull it out. And when we come to someone that's been attacked, that's, been, that's fallen prey, okay, we don't treat them like they're daft for getting into that position. We have to remember that the reason that they were attacked is because they were a problem for Satan. And it took a supernatural being to take them down. And again, not if, but when we need help, when we need to get one of those arrows out that we just can't do ourselves, we need to be willing to go to others and let them help us out. Otherwise, it begins to fester. It's like, you know, when you're sick. Sometimes you could do it yourself. Just, you know, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll nurse myself back to health. Sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and go see the doctor. You know, I've known people that weren't feeling well over an extended period of time, and then they avoided going to the doctor. And then after a while, they were actually scared of what the doctor might say, so they avoided it even more. On most occasions, it was a simple enough fix. But on some occasions, the issue had gone on so long that it was irreversible. I don't know about you, but I don't want my epitaph to read, Here lies Mark. He began strong. But one day he tripped and he didn't bother getting up again, so we had to drag him to the finish line. So then how do we deal with these attacks? When you read the accounts of Pearl Harbor, some of the soldiers thought the alarms were actually just a test. They weren't taking it as seriously as they should have. Many of them were actually waking up and their eyes were kind of blurry. They were just kind of wiping the sleep out of their eyes. They were confused and they didn't even realize that there was a full-scale attack that was underway. Ninety minutes later, it was done. That's how long it lasted, ninety minutes. And there were many casualties. Later that day, America had a choice to make. Do we concede and let the enemy take over the free world? Or do we declare war and join this battle, which is already underway? So the first thing that we need to do when we're under fire, we need to recognize that an attack has taken place. Second, we need to assess the damage. I'll need to ask myself some really tough questions. Questions like, am I completely submitted to God and to His Word? Or did this attack cause me to doubt the Word of God? Did it cause me to have a lack in faith? Can I say with confidence that I am filled with indescribable joy and love for God and for my neighbor? Or did this attack cause friction or worse yet, division? You know, the best way to assess if I am falling short in any way is to actually pray and ask God to reveal it to me. 
And as these things are coming up in my mind, I don't make excuses for them. I just need to acknowledge them and I ask Him to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And finally, I need to equip myself with the sword of the Lord. The very thing I had doubt in, that's going to become my weapon. And eventually, I should ultimately surround myself with like-minded soldiers of the cross. And then I get back into the battle. Verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandment. If he come unto you, receive him. This is the same mark that Paul argued over with Barnabas in Acts 15. Remember that time that Barnabas wanted to take Mark along for this uh, second mission trip? And Paul, because he had bailed on them previously in Pamphylia, Paul wanted nothing to do with it. He wasn't going to have it. So Paul took Silas and he went in one direction, and then Barnabas, he continued with Mark in a different direction. And when you read that, it's like, I'm tempted to say something like, you know, Paul, of all the people to argue with, why would you argue with Barney? I mean, he, everybody knows he's the most encouraging guy here. In fact, that's his nickname. This is the guy that took you in when no one else had wanted to have anything to do with you, Paul. He's the guy that brought you into the fold. No, but praise God, because as you read, you realize that Paul, Barnabas, and Mark did eventually reconcile. And he now considers Mark a key team member. You know, it's a good thing to admit when we've done something wrong. Paul makes an admission here when he says, hey, Mark, he's the guy. I know I, for one, I would much rather that somebody learn from my mistake than having them go through the same mistakes themselves. And the experience that Paul, Barnabas, and Mark had been through is something that others can relate to if they needed to. And it would also encourage them to reconcile. People like Philemon, who was also sent a letter from Paul, Paul was letting him know that, hey, you can expect your old servant Onesimus to drop by sometime there soon. And he mentions that Philemon was such a blessing to him and to every other Christian that had heard about what he was doing because he loved the brethren so much and he loved Jesus so much, it was actually encouraging people that had never even met him. And Paul knew that Philemon, he would entreat Onesimus as a brother from now on. Paul said, but don't just think of him as a brother. He is very profitable to me and to you as well. Onesimus had become a key team member. And how did this person go from being troublesome 
to being one of the key guys in Paul's team. Paul tells us in Philemon's letter, in verse 10 he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Paul says that he was born again when he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him while he was in prison. Remember when he said, pray for me that I use my mouth correctly? Because people like Onesimus were around. And people like Onesimus were getting saved. So here are some takeaways that we can take from Paul's experience. When you have a disagreement with someone, don't let it get out of hand. You know, it's fine to disagree, but it's not fine to make it personal. You know, I can disagree with you if you think that your favorite hockey team is the best. Especially since they haven't won the cup in half a century. Okay? <laughs> but I'm not, it's not okay for me to make it personal, though. Another thing to consider is to be quick to forgive when someone has wronged us. And when you forgive, don't dwell in the past. It's not something that you bring up. You forgive it. Don't get caught up in the should have, could haves. Oh, I should have done this. I could have done that. All those scenarios, because you know what? It's just another trap. And we don't want to fall into just another trap. With that being said, what do these key team members have that makes them profitable to Paul? First, they love the Lord with all their heart. They seek his faith. They meditate on his word daily. Read the accounts. They are filled with a love for every other born-again believer. They don't keep track of wrongs. They earnestly pray for each other. Every time you read one of these letters, I'm praying for you. He names them by name. Sometimes he says what he's actually praying about for them. And they encourage and they strengthen each other. And his profitable team members, they love the lost. We're no better than the lost. We were lost. And then they demonstrate it by telling them about Christ and the hope of glory. And they start, and then they continue. They disciple them. They warn them and they teach them. And if I can't see myself in any of those statements, I need to examine whether or not I am a profitable team member. An attribute that was prevalent with the people that Paul considered profitable was their ability to constantly encourage and lift other people up. Even when they were hundreds of miles away. Verse 11. And Jesus which is called justice, who are the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, 
and them that are in Laodicea, and them that and them in Hierapolis. Sorry. <laughs> Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. You know, I would understand if uh, Paul was a negative Nancy. Apologies, apologies to anybody named Nancy. Okay. I mean, this guy's in prison. He... Uh, and, and when he is in prison, I mean, he's getting beaten up, he's in shipwrecks, he's got it tough. Meanwhile, he's always encouraging people. Also, those that were around him, they were encouraging him constantly. And it wasn't with lip service. It's not like a Debbie Downer. Apologies to anybody called Debbie by any chance. They aren't like, hey, Paul, how's it going, Paul? You know, I just wanted to encourage you, Paul. Maybe pray with you. Here, let's pray, Paul. God, you know, please help Brother Paul so that he doesn't feel too much pain when they lob his head off. You know, it's like not discouraging. They're very encouraging to them. And they were encouraging because they were finding joy and strength in Jesus. It wasn't in themselves, and they weren't finding it in Paul. It was ultimately in Jesus Christ. And when your strength lies in Jesus, you can be in some dire situations and you're still going to have this incredible joy. And we should encourage people in the work. Just as Paul commanded them to encourage Archippus. God had given Archippus a desire and a talent to do a specific work. And Paul wanted that local church to encourage him. It's one thing for Paul to say, but he says, you guys are there. You guys see him. You guys know him. You guys need to encourage him. God had clearly given him a specific tool set and order uh, to fulfill a certain role. And this was done to strengthen the body of believers. And they were supposed to help him out in this work. Could you imagine Brother Jim walking around with his tool belt and all he had was just a big pile of wrenches in there? Time to screw in that board, Jim. Okay, um, here, I'll use my wrench. Jim, we need to measure the opening for the door. Can you get... Yeah, I got just the tool for that. Let me see. It's about uh, six wrenches wide, about uh, 14 wrenches high. You know? Of course not. We wouldn't do that. When he has a job to do, you should see this guy's tool belt. He's got specific tools for specific jobs. It's like a little arsenal. Just like every believer here. Every believer here has specific tools that they are needed to use within the church body. And different jobs, they require different skills and tools. So when you see that God has given someone specific gifts for the church, you encourage them. And then the body will be blessed. 
Could you imagine walking into the dentist's office for a root canal and you see Jim standing there with his Makita drill? Imagine that because, hey, nobody thought of asking the dentist to do the job. So Jim now has to step up to the plate. He just used what he knows he has. So then the dentist, because he was never asked to do a job, well, he decided to go do some home renovation somewhere. No, thankfully, the local dentist's office, they don't run their business that way. But we shouldn't run the church that way either. It's not a business. It's for the glory of God. So as we offer ourselves for God's service, Christ will use us as holy instruments for the church, which would ultimately strengthen the body and make it able to withstand the attacks from our adversary. It all goes hand in hand. Which means now that we can focus on our marching orders. Remember what those are. Go and make disciples for Jesus Christ. So we're going to end in prayer, and after we're done praying, we're going to ask for the, to get the children, because we want to sing a special song with the kids, right? Okay, let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we want to be able to pray as Paul did. Lord, our, our desire is that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding, as Paul said. That we might walk worthy of you, being fruitful and increasing in our knowledge of you. Lord, strengthen with all might, according to your glorious power, not our own. Unto all patience and with fullness of joy. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from this domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of your beloved and precious Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Amen.